Thanks, Graham. Well, good evening. Good to be with you once again. And uh, we're going to start off this evening by doing something a little bit different. You know, every Sunday night, uh, I try to remember to take time to ask questions. And since there's uh, hardly ever any questions, I thought I'd make you participate right at the beginning. <laughs> um, this morning we were talking about the gospel message and how we're to have confidence in it and the life transforming power that it brings. And uh, one of the things I'm always kind of keen to try to remember in preaching and teaching is not just to tell people what they ought to do and why they should do it and the consequences that they don't do it, but tell them how to. <laughs> uh, many times we hear preaching that tells us and inspires us about what it is should we do, but then people are left thinking, okay, how do I do this? So that's what we want to do tonight is look at the how of declaring this gospel message. So I want us to take this sheet, and you're going to work in groups of three. So there you go, right there. Okay. <laughs> Let me put uh, this a little bigger group, so maybe we get two, two groups here. And uh, you may want to get with uh, two or three people yourself. There you go. Okay. So is everybody in the group? You know, actually... Yeah, maybe, okay, you, there you guys, and then you got that one, okay. I'll just read the directions, and then I'll give you a sheet so you guys can do it behind the desk there as well. But you see at the top, it talks about how for centuries Christians have affirmed the, affirmed the commission we have from Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But what exactly is the gospel? Well, this week we wanted to consider this fundamental question. So in groups of three or four, write out in exactly 25 words what you consider to be the heart of the gospel message. This limited word count will require you to carefully decide which elements of the Christian message are a part of the gospel message and which teachings are supplementary to that message. And then there's some uh, scripture text provided there in case you're needed. So at the bottom where it says the gospel in 25 words, this is where you'll write it. So you've got to consult among yourselves exactly which words, what elements of the message, and how would you express the gospel in 25 words. So I'll give you about 10 minutes to work on that. Any questions? By the way, everybody's got it? Got the assignment? But the Roman Road is a group of Bible verses from the book of Romans in the New Testament, a pathway you can walk, and it helped to explain how people can be saved. And the first text is this, Romans 3.23. And Romans 3.23 uh, identifies a crisis. That's the word I would give for it, crisis. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is really important in the gospel message because if we don't reveal a need, then there's no reason for people to change. You know, and that, that's the problem. If we just say that it's about God loves you or that Jesus died on the cross for you, but people don't understand why he died on the cross, what's the problem that he came to solve, then it doesn't make much difference to them. And an example would be if I went into the GP tomorrow, and he said, uh, Darnell, great news, you're cancer-free. I would say, oh, okay, <laughs> that's good. But because I, I didn't think I had cancer, I don't, not ill, it doesn't mean much to me. But now let's say if several weeks ago I had discovered a lump in my body, had gone and had it biopsied, and they were doing tests, and I went in tomorrow to get the results, and he said, great news, you're cancer-free. How, will, how different would my response be? My response will be very different because there has been a problem 
a need surface and now I've discovered that there's a solution, that things are okay. And it's the same when we evangelize people. We tell them Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but they don't understand that you are a sinner, lost and on your way to eternal damnation. And if it wasn't for Jesus, you would be lost for, to God forever. Then they don't really get the impact of the rest of the message. We talked this morning about how the gospel is good news. But it's only good news if it solves a problem. Uh, if not, then it becomes almost like uh, when I go to uh, our favorite ice cream shop in Perth and get a sundae and they ask, do you want the cherry on top? You know, you can get it with or without. And that's how people look at God. You don't need him, but he's the cherry on top. You know, he's good to have if you want a little bit extra in life. But that's not the case at all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And people are destined for eternal damnation and separation from God. And would be forever if it wasn't for what we're going to get to in just a moment. Is that clear? There needs to be a need. And that's the crisis that Jesus came to deal with. Here's the second scripture text. Romans 6.23 and I put the A there because it's the first part of that verse. For the wages of sin is death. After identifying the crisis, here is the, the consequence of that crisis. You know, when we speak about the wages of sin, let's talk about sin for a moment. Theologically speaking, the word sin has many different shades of meaning. You know, it means to fall short, to miss the mark. But it also refers to the human condition of separation from God that arises from opposition to God's purposes. Our sin is in essence a rebellion against God. And because of that God is angry with mankind. But his anger is motivated out of love. So he hates the sin but he loves the sinner. Uh, I've seen it happen sometimes where a child would do something that's quite dangerous. Let's say if you, you know, had a child and it was sticking a fork in the outlet or something. <laughs> you know, if you saw that, you would be, you know, no, don't do that. And you might really shake them and, and speak very sternly to them. Now, if someone to observe that, the parent's reaction, out of context, they may think, ooh, that's quite harsh or quite abusive, you know, for them to kind of grab the child away and say, don't you ever do that and really get at them. But if you understand that the parent is motivated by love, then it makes perfect sense. They're just really concerned when it makes this child understand you cannot do that. That's very dangerous. Well, that's God's attitude towards sinners. He's very angry with sinners, but it's because he loves sinners so much that he is desperate to see them redeemed and restored and brought back into right relationship with him. But the rages of sin has caused that separation from God. Sin brought death into the world physically. You know, if it wasn't for sin in the world, we would all live forever. Sin has affected our physical beings, but it's also resulted in separation from God and loss of relationship. Unchecked or undealt with, that separation will last forever. And when we leave this earth, we will go into eternity, eternally separated from God. And that was the fate of every human being. So at the beginning of the gospel message is there's a crisis of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the consequence of our sin. You know, physical death, spiritual death. And then the second death that talks about in Revelation when there's eternal separation from God. Uh, and because of God's love though, he did something about it. And that brings us to the second part of this. The contrast, Romans 6, 23b. So the first part is for the wages of sin is death, and then it goes on, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And this is the contrast that we have before us. Either we can do, uh, experience the first there, death, which is what we earned, what we deserved of our sins. Okay, because there's a huge difference between wages and the gift. Wages is something that we earn, that we deserve. But the gift is what God freely gives us. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. It's all a matter of God's grace. And it's left up to us to choose. Which shall I choose? Spiritual death, what we earned and deserved, or God's gracious gift. And then we move on to the cure, Romans 5 and 8. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's this crisis and the consequence. And then God gives us this huge contrast. And what a difference grace makes. We can either live under God's favor or live under God's wrath. But God then provided a cure so that we could accept the gift that God provides. And it says, but God demonstrates his own love for, in this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You could say that God planned and Jesus Christ provided a way, a sort of bridge to reunite us with God. We had no way to bridge that gulf. We had no way to cross over back to God. It's only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And God was motivated by a number of things. He was motivated, motivated by His love for us, but He's also motivated by His sense of justice. There was a price that needed to be paid, and Jesus Christ paid that price. And now His righteousness is attributed to us. And we stand before God justified in His sight, just as if we had never sinned. Acts 4 and 12 says that salvation is found in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Christianity expresses an exclusiveness that offends some people. And that is, we believe that human beings were separated from God because of our sin. And that the only way we could have right relationship with Him and go to heaven when we die is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus. And we are finding in today's society Christians who are beginning to allow for the possibility that people might be able to still be right with God some other way. You know, and, and what's happened is people are thinking, well, the best way is Jesus and we want you to accept him. But if you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior, but you are really sincere or you love people, you live a good life or you believe in God, that somehow you might still get in. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but I have. I've heard some Christian ministers who, when challenged about, well, can somebody be a Buddhist and go to heaven or a Muslim and go to heaven, say, well, you know, we all are children of God, you know, and who am I to say that somebody can't get to heaven, you know, by believing in something else. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The gospel message is very clear that we had a problem and the only cure is Jesus Christ. This is important as well, because as we evangelize people, if there is a sense that they can get to heaven, OK, some other way, then they don't need the gospel message. 
It's good news because it solves a problem. It's good news because it's the only cure. So that's Romans 5, verse 6 through 8, the cure. That Jesus Christ provided a way, a sort of bridge for us to have our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored. The next scripture is what I would call the choice. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Some have referred to, the, to this as the, uh, the dynamite verse uh, because it's TNT, 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You can see here that there's this separation between us and God. And there's the cross, which makes it possible for us to have our relationship restored. But every human being has to make a decision whether or not they're going to take the path of the cross, accept it. God doesn't force it on anybody. It doesn't happen automatically. There is a belief out there, it's called universalism, that when Jesus died on the cross, he brought salvation to everyone immediately, and that's all, it just happened. That's not true. He made it available. He made it possible. But we only access salvation through faith. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, in this particular text, the word repentance is not mentioned, but it is mentioned elsewhere. So that should be viewed here as well. That is not just saying something with your mouth. There's an attitude of heart that goes along with it. And this is what he talks about. Believe in your heart. Repentance is the ideal of turning away, having a change of heart. So a person who has been living their, their life in rebellion against God, not acknowledging him as the Lord of their life, not living in relationship with him in obedience to his will and his way. They have a change of attitude and say, from now on, I will commit myself to Christ. From now on, I see sin the way that God sees it. So my attitude towards sin is not just, is no big deal, but I see sin the way that God sees it. And it's a total different change in attitude and heart. And this is what it means to really be saved. When he says there, and believe in your heart, it's not just giving intellectual assent to it. It's meaning having a real change of heart. The scripture says in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by God's grace through faith. God's graciousness, giving us what we don't deserve, makes it possible. But now it's up to us to accept it. And it's the same as we evangelize people. Everyone in this community has the potential to be saved. Jesus Christ died on that cross and made that possible for every one of them. But they will only be saved if they put their faith in the gospel message in Jesus Christ. So salvation, although it's a free gift, a person must accept it to possess it. You know, it's just like uh, naturally, somebody can send you a gift or give you something. And if you decide to give it back to them or return the sender, then you don't have it. And God has sent his son, but unfortunately, too many people are rejecting him. They've got to accept him. And if they don't, they'll be eternally lost. But those who do choose to cross over and live a God-centered life, that will bring them to the final scripture text. And that's the conclusion.
Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the result of God's salvation. We are declared not guilty. As I said several weeks ago now when we were looking at Romans, how justification is a legal term, a forensic term, that is, speaks to the idea of being not guilty. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, not our own righteousness, not our own deeds, not because we live a good life, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, God looks at us and sees him. He has paid the price. And in 1 John chapter 1, it talks about that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the reason God is just to do that is because God has already punished Jesus for our sins. He put upon him our iniquity. You know, when he hung on that cross, he was paying the price for us. So when we come to God for forgiveness, God is acting as any just God or judge would by forgiving us of our sins because he would be unjust to punish us for things that he's already punished his son for. Every sin that we've ever committed, everything we've ever done wrong, God punished His Son for our sins. So when we come to God with honesty and, and openness and confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, Jesus has already paid it all. And God is just to forgive us. So you see here in the illustration, is there our guilty sins were put upon Him. And His righteousness was put upon us. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing to know. So it's not about we're good enough or we deserved it. It's just Christ has already paid the price for us. So that's the conclusion. And then that therefore, I love that part there in 5 and 1. And it goes on to say, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, not through our acts, not through service or anything like that, but through faith, that's what it takes. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to have huge implications for us and for our lives. We must not allow Satan to keep us bogged down over sins of the past with guilt and shame. We must never doubt God's forgiveness and God's grace and mercy on our life. We've been justified. God looks at us and he sees Christ's righteousness if we are true believers in him. Amen. Amen. Any final questions or comments? Just thinking as you said how Christ was punished for us, it was, mm -hmm. He chose yeah. to go for us, mm -hmm. so that it's, it's, it makes it seem a, a lot more not so much appealing, but you know it's, it softens it a bit. I guess I'm saying when I think about that, He was willing to do that. Mm -hmm. for us, you know, so that's a blessing. Yeah, that is. That's a good point. There was a book written by a prominent Christian a few years ago that caused quite a firestorm, firestorm here in the UK, because in it he talked about the idea that Christ being a substitution for our sins as cosmic child abuse and felt like, you know, that is not what the Bible teaches and that's a terrible way to look at the atonement. But I think he's got, I, I actually, I love and appreciate the, the brother who wrote this. I, I think he's a, a good man, a good Christian. I just think he got it wrong in this area. Um, because as Karen said, God didn't force Jesus on the cross. He didn't go kicking and screaming. 
you know, so it wasn't child abuse at all. Jesus willingly went and died on the cross for our sins. And as it says in Romans 5, it is the demonstration of God's love for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But the point I'm making here at the end about this conclusion is there are too many Christians who are not living in the reality of the therefore. They're still bound by guilt, shame, regret, still struggle with whether or not God has really forgiven them. Still are not realizing the power that God has for us in our life as a result of what Christ has done. Don't have the assurance that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. And that's a real shame. It has been paid for. Christ has settled the account. It is finished. We are living in his righteousness. God sees us different than he did before. And that is to affect our lives in all kinds of profound ways. Gives us peace we never had before. Joy we never had before. Hope we never had before. Power over temptation we never had before. That's the difference that Jesus makes. So go, go out of here today encouraged with that. Armed with that message. And that's how it makes it easy to share this message with other people when you believe it, when you have experienced it and when you know that it's real. Amen. Darnell, if someone said to you, I want to become a follower of Jesus, do you have a a, a set thinking or set scriptures in your mind or is it individual to each individual person or do you have something that you follow in a sense in trying to explain the gospel and lead someone to Christ? Yeah. That's a very good question. Um, if someone, and I have had this happen to me, if someone was to make that statement, I wouldn't, take, turn, I wouldn't read a scripture to them or take them to the Bible or explain anything. <laughs> I would just say, are you ready to accept Christ? And then, do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? And are you ready to follow him and pray with him? A person like that is already at the point where they're ready to close the deal. We don't need to talk anymore about it. That's something else I learned when I used to be a salesman. You know, that when you're selling life insurance and mutual funds, when they say, uh, how much does this cost or where do I sign? Stop talking. Give them the pen. (laughs) You know, don't explain it anymore. They say, where do I sign? Here it is. Here's the pen. Start signing. It's the same with us. They'll learn all the rest of that if they're seriously genuine. But now, what I have encountered as well is people who are searching and looking. And then I would use Romans Road if I had the chance to. If I was sitting down with them, like I've done at Alpha Courses or in their home, I would go verse by verse and say, here's the crisis. Here's the consequence. You know, here's the cure. Here's the contrast. Here's the contrast to cure. Here's the um, conclusion. You know, all the way through that. Or the choice and then the conclusion. Yeah, I have found this and I've used this many times a very, very effective way. But for most of us, the best way to evangelize somebody is to just tell them what God has done in your life. The difference that, that he has made. And, uh, but if you ever get somebody saying, I want to become a Christian, what I need to do, don't pull out your Bible. <laughs> just say, let me pray with you. Okay, all you got to do is pray and ask God into your heart and to come along to church with me on Sunday. And if they're genuinely serious, they'll, they'll learn all the rest as they go. But thanks for that. That's, that's a very good question. Any other questions or comments? I was thinking as you were talking about the, um, the atonement and 
the cosmic, what did you call it? Cosmic child, the child abuse. abuse, yeah. That when Christ went to the cross, he was an adult. I didn't call it that. Somebody else did, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I was just thinking when Christ, I never really quite thought about this like this before, but when Christ went to the cross, he was an adult. You know, we know he had his ministry mm-hmm. for three years and was around the age of 33 or, you know, that, mm-hmm. that that's what we have as our reporting. Um, so it was a adult decision. It wasn't like, you know, God could have or they could have decided early on, let's do this as a baby. Mm-hmm. So I think in foreseeing this, because people probably really would have a hard time accepting Christianity if it was an infant, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about what you said as far as an infant or cosmic, you know, that kind of child, thing, right. child mm-hmm. a child, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't. You know, we know Jesus was God's son, but he was an adult son at that mm-hmm. point. So it wasn't a, a little tiny baby that would mm-hmm. people would probably have a harder time dealing yeah. with Christianity. So it was an adult decision, and, and Christ was willing right. to go, you know, for us. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just uh-huh. some insight, some not bother. <laughs> I think the concept behind that, behind it, though, is that your your boy is your boy, and the father is mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30. Right. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Girl, right, and that's where he's coming from, yeah. But I think, uh, I and you know, I know, I know what you're talking about, uh, Daniel. I think the big difference is in this one, though, that uh, I don't want to get into child mm-hmm. abuse. That, but usually an abuser is an abuser. But in the situation relating to our God, sometimes we don't think of the pain of the father, mm-hmm. the, the, pain, the pain that the father suffered. Mm-hmm. We think a lot in the cross, mm-hmm. and rightly so, mm-hmm. and the pain of the Lord, and you know the films that have been made. Mm-hmm. But think how painful it was for the father mm-hmm. to give his son. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes an abuser doesn't think that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like the pain of the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Situation. Felix almost persuaded. Yeah, then yeah. Oh yeah, many times, yeah. And sometimes later on they are persuaded. You know. Um one person came comes to mind, there was a guy when I was pastoring a church in Perth who's coming along to our um feeding program on a Tuesday night. He suffered with uh drug and alcohol addiction. And um he's you know, it took him about a year and a half before he would start coming to the Sunday evening services. But one day he came forward to the altar one night for prayer. So I jumped right on that. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. And um, I said, well, you, you want to give your heart to the Lord. You know, I'll pray with you right now. All you got to do is just tell God you're sorry for your sins and ask him to come into your heart and, and make a commitment to live for him. And, you know, these things. And he wasn't ready for that. You know, I thought because he had come forward to the altar that he would he was really ready to say. But he wanted to just say a prayer, but he didn't want to become a Christian. So, in, in so many words, he was saying to me, I'm almost persuaded. You know, I've gone from, I don't even want to come to church, to I'm coming to church, to I've come forward to an altar for prayer, but I'm not ready to become a Christian. But, several months later, he did give his heart to the Lord. You know, and he's a Christian today. So, you know, we just have to keep uh, uh, praying for people and working with them. But even in that situation, I learned something, um, you know, we, we, we want to be keen to see people come to faith, but we can't push them, you know. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't push him, but when he came forth, I was so excited. I was like, yeah, let's, let's, get, let's pray for you right now. But he was like, no, I'm not quite ready for that. But uh, thankfully, he did keep coming along and eventually gave his heart to the Lord. So, you know, in God's own time, you know, keep, keep trusting him. 
Well, I hope this has been helpful for you tonight. I want to accomplish a couple of things. One, give you a chance to really think about what is the gospel message that you're going to go out and, and share with people. And then to give you one basic tool that if you ever find yourself sitting one-on-one with somebody and they're saying, I don't understand it, can you explain it to me? Now you've got somewhere to go. Okay, let me take you to the book of Romans and just show you this plan of salvation. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys so much for your participation tonight. I'll just say a prayer and then hand over to you, Graham. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. Thank you for your word. And Father, thank you for the gospel message, the good news that it brings to all of humanity. And thank you for the difference that it has made in our lives. And we just appreciate you so much, dear God. And Father, I pray that you would just give us opportunities to share the gospel with people. Give us the courage and, and the ability to be able to communicate it effectively. And I just pray that you will help us to be able to, men, to, um, to lead many men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you and appreciate you. And just bless us as we leave this place. Help us to travel safely to our various destinations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.